Right. I've reached the end of this sermon series this morning, but I'm shortchanging you because I'm only giving you 11 of the 12 disciples. You'll have to wait until Easter, the 12th one. So the reading is from Luke, Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. Is it on the screen? Oh, well done. Right, in one of those days, Jesus went out onto a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your scriptures and for the opportunity to discover more about the 12 disciples you called after the night you prayed on the mountainside. Be with me, Lord, and with all of those who will preach your word this week. Amen. Okay, let's go. Who were James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were apostles. As I said earlier, I'm leaving out Judas Iscariot, the traitor. But there is very little known about these disciples. They don't seem to have been as uh, intimately or closely involved with Jesus like the others eight were. And it is important to remember that the apostles were men who gave up everything to follow Christ. Peter spoke for all of them when he said, look, we've left everything to follow you. And indeed they had. They'd left houses. They'd left jobs, they'd left land and family to follow Christ. But we have to bear in mind that two of these disciples were also gospel writers. We've got Matthew and we've got John. And the other two were their close friends, were Luke and Mark, who wrote the other two uh, gospels. But what we need to remember is this, is that the Gospels were written to give a deeper insight into Jesus's life, not the disciples' life. Okay? Yeah? But it was with honesty that they portrayed their weaknesses as well as their strengths. And as we've delved into this short sermon series, we've seen that 
though they thought more highly of themselves than maybe they should have, they sometimes spoke when they should have kept quiet. There were also times when they were totally clueless about things that they should have understood. But we are told that they were empowered. How were they empowered? They were empowered to heal, to raise the dead, and to cast out demons. Now, I know it's a long time ago, but you might remember when we were doing all this via Zoom and I started this sermon series, and I had a struggle with the sermon of Simon, also known as Peter. And I said that there were lots of people named Simon in the scriptures. Well, guess what? There's also lots of people named James. I've already preached about James, the son of Zebedee, and there was another James who was the son of Mary and Joseph, and he became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And it was most likely him who wrote the book of James. But James of Alphaeus is a different one. And basically, that's all we know about him. His dad was called Alphaeus. And hey-ho, his mother was called Mary, another common name for women. When Jesus was crucified, it was this very same Mary who was one of those who was present and this is where we get a little bit more of information about James, the son of Alphaeus, because he was also known as James the Younger or James the Less. In Mark's Gospel, it says this, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger, James the, the Younger implied that he might have been younger than the other disciples. Otherwise, he might have been called James the Elder. But let's look quickly. Mark's Gospel again. Mark chapter 2, and it says this. Once again, Jesus went out beside a large but beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Do you know, this is a bit like doing that, who do you think you are, that family tree bit, isn't it? Anyway, Levi, the son of Alphaeus, was sitting in a tax collector's booth. Now, who was Levi? What was his other name? Matthew, that's right. See, I wish they'd just stick to one name, but they don't, do they? So anyway, this Levi, also called Matthew, was sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus said. So he got up and he followed him. Could it be that this James was the brother of Matthew? This James of Alphaeus, James Alphaeus, was he the brother of Matthew? There's no reason why he couldn't be because we know that Peter and Andrew were brothers, and the other, James and John, they were brothers. So what about these two? We don't know, because we aren't given much more information about them. 
but the only important thing that we need to know is that this quiet guy was always, it seems, to be in the background and was used by God to spread the gospel to the world in their day. I started off by asking you, what do you know about these last four disciples? Well, now I'm going to be moving quickly onwards to Simon the Zealot. What do we know about him? Well, he was at one time a member of a political party called the Zealots, and they hated Romans, and their goal was to overthrow the Roman Empire. They were extremists, and unlike the Pharisees who were willing to compromise for political reasons, the Zealots were militant, they were violent outlaws. They believed that only God himself had the right to rule over the Jews. And they believed that by assassinating Roman soldiers, political leaders, and anyone else who opposed them, they were doing God's work. The Zealots were hoping for a Messiah who would lead them, who would overthrow the Roman occupation and restore the kingdom of Israel. The fact is, he is always known as Simon the Zealot. Now that could be because he's got a very fiery temperament. Ask yourself, why why would Jesus choose someone like Simon the Zealot to be an apostle? Well, we've noticed, haven't we, that all 12 who were called by Jesus were trained and he taught them. And Simon was a man of fierce loyalties he had an amazing passion and a zeal. He was courageous and zealous. He believed the truth about the Lord. And, and he was now expression, expressing his devotion to Christ. All we know is that this man was willing to kill and to be killed for a political agenda within the confines of Judea. And he found a more fruitful cause in which to give his life. That became more important to him well, we're whizzing through these last disciples this morning. And like I've said, I've decided not to do Judas Iscariot. And so I'm swiftly moving on to the other Judas. Judas, the son of James. 
I looked up the meaning of the word of the name Judas, excuse me. And it means Jehovah leads. And it's only because of the other Judas that this name has a very negative connotation. When John mentions him, he is always referred to as Judas, and in brackets, not Iscariot. Now, this is where these names get even more confusing, because this Judas actually has three names. Sometimes he's called Thaddeus. Sometimes he's called Lebas. And both of those names mean that he is a child of the heart. Bearing in mind that this guy was hanging out with people like Simon the Zealot, it seems a bit crazy, but, and this is a very, very big but, even though, as we have discovered, that zealots make good preachers, so do kind, tender-hearted, compassionate, sweet-natured souls like Lebeus and Thaddeus. I could add Pastor David and Pauline Curry to that list as well. In John 14, when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, in verse 21, it says this, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. Wait for it. Verse 22, then Judas, in brackets, not Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Here we see the tender-hearted humility of this guy. He doesn't say anything brash or bold or overconfident. And he doesn't rebuke the Lord like Peter once did. Instead, his question is full of gentleness and meekness. It's devoid of any pride. He couldn't believe that Jesus would manifest himself to this motley crew of 11 and not to the whole world. After all, Jesus was the savior of the world. Not was, Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the rightful heir of the earth. He was the king of kings and the lord of lords. 
And they had always assumed that he came to set up his kingdom and subdue all this for himself. The good news of forgiveness and salvation was certainly good news for the whole of the world, and the disciples knew it. But the rest of the world was still at this stage, were still clueless. So Judas, also known as Lebius or Thaddeus, wanted to know, why are you going to disclose yourself to us and not to the whole world? Here he was, a disciple, a man who believed and loved his Lord. He was full of hope for the world, so his question was one he had to ask. Why not everyone? He was hoping for the kingdom to come on earth. After all, isn't that what Jesus taught the disciples to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yes, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But look at Jesus' answer. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to make our home where? With him, in his Holy Spirit. Jesus' answer wasn't that I'm going to take over the world but I'm going to take over your heart. And if anyone loves me, loves my father, we will come and we will set up the kingdom in your heart. This kind, tender-hearted soul followed the Lord faithfully to the very end of his life. His testimony was as powerful and as far-reaching as that of better-known and more outspoken apostles, uh, disciples. But just take a minute and think of how God can use perfectly ordinary people just like you and you and you and me to do amazing things. Is that true? Can God use you? Can you do amazing things? I'm doing an amazing thing by just standing up here this morning because God called me many, many years ago. I was driving my car. I was on my way to work. At that time, I was working as a team leader for a national charity called Crossroads. Crossroads is a charity that offered respite to carers, to people who were carers for people in their own home. I was on my way to my office, and God jumped in my car 
he sat right down beside me and he said this. He said, Pauline, look, I love what you're doing, but you've reached a crossroads in your life. Now, I want you to train in ministry. Now, you can either carry on doing exactly what you're doing, which is great and fantastic and everybody loves you, or you can take up and follow me and train to be a minister. That was many years ago. And I said, yeah, 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 okay, Lord, whatever. And I got on with it, and I shoved it in a cupboard, and I didn't do anything about it. And I didn't do anything about it for a very, 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 very long time, eight years in total. And then I had a chance meeting with a man who happened to be the retired head of the London School of Theology. And I went there in my daily business. And I went there and I did all the paperwork and everything I'd gone there to do. And then his wife said, oh, I'll make a cup of tea. So she popped into the kitchen and this man who'd had a stroke was dribbling out the side of his mouth, was very frail. I think he was in his early 90s. He said to me, tell me, what's troubling you? I'm welling up. Apologies if I cry, but I'm in the Lord's house. And I said to him, how do I know? How can I be absolutely 100% certain that this is what God is calling me to do? And do you know what this man said? God won't let it go until you give in because he has a plan for your life. So I came back here and I spoke to Pastor David and I said, you won't believe what's happened, but I think I'm being called to be a minister. And do you know what his first words to me were? Well, it's about time, isn't it, Pauline? I wasn't expecting that either. But anyway, that was how God used me. It wasn't in the plan that I was going to be given my own church because when I did all my, uh, can't remember what you call it now, you have to go and all these sort of conferences and that and they decide which sort of minister you're going to be. I said, oh no, I don't want to be in charge of a whole church and everything and sort out all their building work and stuff they don't like. So it was given to me that I would be working alongside Pastor David here at Trinity. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I took three of the hardest years of my life with my nose buried in books, reading, completing essays, submitting my coursework. And this is where I've got to be, where I am today. 
But do you know, there's a little voice bashing away inside of me saying, God ain't finished with you yet. Oh no, he's only just started. So don't any one of you think, oh, done my bit. <laughs> yeah, because he hasn't finished with any of us yet. We've just got to be open. Open to let that spirit pour in us like a river. It's going to come. This spirit will flow through us so that we can flow that spirit out to other people, to other people in our work, in our community, to our neighbors, to our friends, to every single person we meet. It could be you're in the queue. The other week, Brian and I were in the queue in Lidl. We had a blooming great trolley full of stuff. And the lady behind had a couple of things. And so I said, here, take yours first. I'm going to be a while. And she said, do you mean it? Do you mean it? I said, yeah. I said, do you know, one day someone's going to do that for me when I'm just standing there with a loaf of bread and a packet of greens or something. Help each other out. Show love. Show kindness. Now, I've gone completely off script. I've got none of that written down. That's just come through the Spirit talking and coming through me to tell you about that this morning. So, our sermon series on the 12 disciples, it's almost finished. So, who do you see yourself as? Maybe we can see ourselves as Matthew. Here he was a man, a man who had a brilliant analytical mind. But initially, he used it for himself rather than for God. He became a tax collector, a man who was conspiring with the Romans. It was his responsibility to extract money from his brothers, money from the Jewish people. Matthew's mind was like an add-in machine, ticking away money, 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 more money, 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 money. And it reminds us of just how far many of us are willing to go to advance our own ambition. And we put materialistic things before spiritual, heavenly things. But when Matthew came over to Jesus, he came over all the way. Now he was using that brilliant analytical mind to analyze the message of Jesus. Now he was using his, excuse me, his education to keep an account of Jesus's teachings. And Matthew reminds us that our gifts and our talents are God-given, and we must choose to use them. We must choose to use them right to the very end. What we are asked to do is to be that light, 
Do you remember David last week with the glow sticks and the 10 people? Was it 10 or 12 of you? Yep. How many? 10. 10 people. We're asked to be that light. And Matthew did just that. Because his gospel contains Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and a majority of the parables. That gospel changed the world in those few writings more than any others have done. Maybe we see ourselves as James and John, you know, the two brothers they remind us of the pride and the ego that is within us all. It was their mother who went to Jesus to do their bidding for them. She said, when you come into your kingdom, place my sons, one at your right hand and one at your left. Even on this occasion of the last night of their supper together what were the disciples doing they were arguing for goodness sake they were arguing amongst themselves which one was the greatest and who deserved that seat of honor at the table and James and John remind us that if we are to follow Jesus we must first let go of our ego we must become less so that he might become more. Yes? Hallelujah. You're very quiet this morning. We must remember the words of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Maybe we see ourselves as Nathaniel. He reminds us of the prejudice that is in our world. When he first heard about Jesus, he was quoted as saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? In a thousand ways, do we echo his words and sentiments? Can anything good come out of Harrow? Can anything good come out of Harrow? Yes, what can come out of Harrow that's good? Us, yes, we, us, the light. I'm glad you're paying attention. Do you know, I'm on fire. I am really, I'm going to take my jacket off in a minute because I'm getting so hot. But hey, he reminds us that we are to free others and we must first, first be free of prejudices that separate us from others. Now, Philip, he was the sort of person who knew all about facts and figures, and he liked to do everything a bit by the book. He's a bit like Brian Curry, church treasurer. He seemed to find reasons why he couldn't, things couldn't be done. That's not Brian, by the way, only to me. 
he'll find reasons why he can't do things for me. Anyway, but rather than looking at the big picture, take the feeding of the 5,000. All Philip could see was a massive crowd of people, 5,000 plus, I would admit, 5,000 plus because there were the wives and the families as well. And they didn't have enough money to buy food. And he seemed to look at the materialistic situation. And yet he'd been with Jesus, hadn't he? He'd been with Jesus when he turned water into wine. He'd witnessed healing. And yet here, in his disbelief, he didn't see how Jesus could feed a multitude. Certainly, we can see a part of ourselves in Thomas. We, too, long for proof, for something tangible that we can cling to when our experience of God begins to fail. We live in a cynical, prove-it-to-me age, but Thomas reminds us that the resurrectional faith that we have is not something that can be neatly wrapped up into a package. We can never possess faith as one would possess a thing. To follow Jesus, we must be able to echo the words, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yes, that's right. And then there was Simon, Simon the Zealot. It embarrasses me to say that I see some of myself in this man. For he was one who hated with a passion. And he reminds me that anger is an emotion that I struggle with. I struggle with anger. The Zealots were a political uh, faction who wanted the Romans out and the Jews in. And they were more than willing to commit a murder and cause mayhem to accomplish their goal. They were terrorists who said that the end justifies the means. Simon would remind us that if we are to follow Jesus, we must look at his total message, even the parts that say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. And then there's Andrew. He was the one who brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. But he never got the fame. He was always living under the shadow of the others. He doesn't seem to enter that inner circle consisting of Peter and James and uh, John, although he brought all of them to Jesus. He had been fishing with them since they were boys. 
And Andrew reminds us that if we are to follow Jesus, we cannot insist on being in the limelight. Those who are truly in service will rarely get recognition and fame. And finally, Simon Peter, the very first disciple in my sermon series. Look how impetuous he was. When Jesus told the disciples that they would all fall away, it was Simon Peter who shouted, Lord, I will never leave your side. And what happened? Oh, yes, he did. He denied Jesus not once, but three times. That's right. He would remind us that to follow Jesus, we must count the cost of discipleship. And that, my friends, is the end of the sermon series. If you want copies, I'll send you copies. They're probably all on the podcast anyway. So if you haven't seen the whole set and you want to, I'm not forcing you to, just go to the church website. So let us pray. <clears throat> Simon, Peter, Andrew, James and John, Matthew, Nathaniel, Philip, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Thank you for the way you called them. So give us hearts that long to hear your voice a heart that is willing to obey your commands and to love the way that you loved. Here I am, Lord. I'm ready. Use me. Amen.